Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 23rd of January, and this is Govind Rajathiraj based in Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day mainland stocks in Hong Kong's Hang Seng fall to a two decade low. What's next? The US markets continue to stay strong. Will it spill over to India? The worst quarter for consumer products in three decades in India, says Distributors Federation Chief. The real story. And Sony calls off merger talks with Z Entertainment. Will they become fresh targets? This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Chinese stocks get hammered. First, Yesterday, here in India, was a bank holiday and a markets holiday as well. So no market report from India. But there's much happening elsewhere, which is important, including in Chinese stocks. So let's dive into it. Chinese stocks listed in Hong Kong are at their deepest discount to the mainland in 15 years. The Hang Seng China Enterprises Index fell close to a level last seen almost two decades ago, Bloomberg reported. The gauge tracking mainland stocks price caps versus their dual listings in Hong Kong reached the widest since 2009 implying a 36% discount for the offshore market. Now, why is this important? And we'll come to it. The Hong Kong version of mainland China stocks are considered more liquid and free from regulatory meddling and also represent some of the top Chinese firms. Conversely, their fate also reflects investor sentiment on China's economy and stocks. To be fair, Chinese stocks are being hit for the same reasons as stocks in other markets in the region are being hit too. For example, US interest rates and where they may go or may not, and when. But some problems, like a debt-ridden and struggling real estate sector, are unique to China. A market analyst told Bloomberg that quite a large number of H-share investors are overseas institutional funds, and they've allocated from Hong Kong, or rather reallocated from Hong Kong to Japan and other Asian markets in their Asian allocation, of course, referring to Hong Kong-listed stocks. So even in the mainland Chinese market, the benchmark CSI 300 has now hit a new five-year low. And less than a month into the new year, the gauge of Chinese stocks listed in Hong Kong has already lost 13%, making it the worst performing major benchmark in global indices. In comparison, the S&P 500 has gained 1.5%, Bloomberg has pointed out. Meanwhile, Reuters is reporting that China's major state-owned banks moved to support the yuan on Monday, tightening liquidity in the offshore foreign exchange market while actively selling US dollars onshore as equities fell further. The goal was to prevent the yuan from falling too fast as China's A shares plunged, sources told Reuters, with the benchmark Shanghai Composite Index posting its biggest one-day drop since April 2022 on Monday, down almost 3%. So that was China and now global stocks. Global equities are zooming ahead with Wall Street poised for a fresh record as investors are back to betting on falling interest rates and a strong earnings season. India, by the way, is not benefiting so much from the earnings season uptick, as you might have noticed, except for a surprise response to IT stocks. With markets having been shut on Monday at home, we have to see how markets, that's the broader markets, digest the overnight actions in the United States or for that matter, Asia and move today. Futures contracts on the Nasdaq 100 index rose as they did on the S&P 500 after it became the last of the three major US equity benchmarks to reach a record closing high, which is the S&P 500. So equity markets are essentially betting on the US economy's resilience and renewed belief that central banks will start cutting interest rates later this year. 
This also helps, by the way, India's IT sector, because if there is a sense or a feeling that the economy in the United States will be stronger, then obviously more orders could come towards Indian IT companies. But that's a subject for a later discussion. Tech shares, however, are driving earnings and sentiment in the United States now. And I also mention it because all the companies and brands are known here. Western Digital Corporation, PayPal Holdings, and of course, the magnificent seven companies, which include right on from Tesla to Facebook to Google. And they're all expected to deliver a combined profit growth of about 46%, according to data compiled by Bloomberg Intelligence. So the last few days have been steady because US markets are looking strong. The foreign portfolio investors, by the way, have been selling again in India. Be that as it may, both domestic and international flows are looking steady to find for now. There is, of course, that valuation concern that's still hanging over the markets. But to take the optimistic view, it will stay till earnings catch up and when they do. On the other hand, it's quite clear that many stocks like banks and large consumer product companies who depend on the larger mass of consumers in India will be under pressure for some time. And I will come to that in considerable detail later on in the show. Oil loses ground, uncertainty fails to dent. And here's our energy segment supported by India Energy Week. Despite all the tensions in the Middle East, including missiles flying around the Red Sea, oil prices are still weak. They fell on Monday as the demand outlook for oil stayed weak, despite the geopolitical concerns I was referring to. Brent crude is holding still around $78 a barrel, or a little above that. Prices were not impacted despite an alleged Ukrainian drone attack at a huge Russian fuel export terminal, Reuters reported. So it's boiling down to growth outlook across the Western Hemisphere and China, which of course is not strong. All major forecasting agencies are now predicting demand to slow down towards 2025. The core's energy segment was supported by India Energy Week, which is to take place next month. And for more details, log on to www.indiaenergyweek.com. The worst quarter in 30 years. What's happening in consumer product numbers and what does it reflect more importantly? Of course, it depends on who you ask. So I asked two slightly different sets of people, one an analyst looking at numbers via a platform that connects to about 750,000 retailers, the other a distributors federation that represents over 400,000 stockists across India. Now, the larger point is that even if volumes rose somewhat, value did not because most companies have cut prices. We will look at both companies and the macro picture in a moment. There is another point, which is that figures when viewed over a year, let's say, present a different picture than what some of us, including myself, were concluding or taking away quarter on quarter right through 2023. The macro picture is important because it tells you what's happening in the economy in terms of consumption and investment, since there are not too many figures at that level going around. So let's pick some of the latest numbers to arrive on Monday, which were Colgate-Palmolive, which reported a roughly 36% jump in third quarter profits on Monday, thanks to strong urban demand and a fall in expenses. Sales of consumer good companies have been, in general, boosted by urban consumers with higher average income, even though prices of essential goods have gone up. For Colgate-Palmolive, sales were up about 8% to 1,386 crores, thanks primarily to its core oral care category. Hindustan Unilever, meanwhile, posted a smaller-than-expected increase in quarterly profits on Friday as rural markets remained weak. So there's the contrast. Levers is dependent more on rural and Colgate is dependent more on urban and more of that in a moment. 
Levers reported a volume growth of 2% for the October to December quarter, which was flat on a sequential basis and lower than the 5% volume growth it reported in the same period last year. Business Standard reports that Dabur India, set to report results next week, had already said this month that it expects mid to high single-digit growth in consolidated revenue for the third quarter, thanks to subdued pricing growth, which means it's not able to raise prices, and disparity in demand between rural and urban areas. The HUL chairman told analysts that an average Indian consumer is spending more than 50% of their time on the digital media with e-commerce and digital commerce gaining traction. Though it's not clear to me whether the overall consumption trends or buying power will change or is increasing because people are going digital, so that's a discussion for another time. HUL says that on a year-to-date financial year basis, the premium portfolio continues to lead growth, which has grown more than two and a half times the mass portfolio. Premium products are typically those with a relative price index greater than 120% of the category average, the company said. And of course, urban growth continues to outpace rural. And then, another phenomenon that we've discussed here on the core report as well in some detail, hungry regional players who are putting up a solid fight and eating into market shares of the big incumbent giant. For example, in noodles. Now, let's look at the broad numbers. Data from retail intelligence agency Bizom says sales of groceries, household and personal care items grew just 2% by value in 2023, significantly slower than the 7% in 2022. Moreover, sales remained flat for discretionary products such as smartphones, refrigerators and televisions for which volume growth fell 2-5%. to So going by this data, it would appear that premium products are not doing that well too, at least in the Bizom data set. Unless, of course, there is some overall averaging happening. Home care has done well, growing about 13% last year, but many categories have slow single digits or negative like beverages. So now let's take two viewpoints. First, let's begin closest to the ground with Dairishil Patil, president of the All India Consumer Products Distributors Federation. I spoke to him in Kolhapur, where he is based, and I began by asking him how he was looking back at all of 2023 and what really went wrong in the last quarter. As we have just finished our third quarter, and the third quarter for the FMCG trade is supposed to be the highest sales quarter for the entire year. Unfortunately, we have lost that quarter completely. In fact, most of the sales are negative in that quarter. Like versa, the first quarter and second quarter was also not that promising because a lot of issues were there, delayed rains were there. Lot of urban and rural disruption was there. Consumption pattern for the consumers has also changed. So this year seems to be a black year for the FMCG segment as to all together. Because since last three decades, we have never seen a negative growth or a negative trend into an entire FMCG segment. Though none of the companies are going to claim or going to display any negative growth, but they will claim a volume growth because there's nothing to show and to value. If there is a volume growth, naturally there should be a value growth as well. Right. But prices have come down. So maybe that's why volume is more or less the same and volume has increased, but value is not keeping up. See, the prices have come down as been quoted by many of the companies, but there are no such direct visible changes. The MRPs which were blown up proportionately, where like the volumes into the packaging was also brought down, 
and MRPs were also been hiked up. In the same pattern, we have not able to follow where the MRPs are drastically brought down or the volume into the individual packaging has increased. I agree there is a no price hike done in this quarter or in the last two quarters. But there are also no visible changes of a drastic price reduction. Got it. And you also talked about rains and the impact of rains. Now, is that something that usually affects the third quarter? Because we've seen previous years with maybe, let's say, erratic rainfall or not enough rainfall. A good rainfall gives a good festive season. A good crop, a yield of good crop comes from a good rainfall. So unfortunately, we had a very distorted rainfall this year everywhere across the country. There was somewhere it was very less, somewhere it was very high, somewhere there was absolutely absent, somewhere it was untimely, unexpected rains. So everything everywhere was uh, not in a proper choreography which we always see. Okay. If you were to take rainfall out of the equation, what else could be the reason why sales were low or so low in the third quarter of this current financial year? See, people are managing their finance or rather making their purchases very cautiously. So they are spending very wisely and only on bare minimum necessities. They are going for a smaller packs. The consumer has diverted itself to a smaller packs in a larger way. Second thing is that, is their income been growing in since past decade, I mean the past year or a quarter? There are no drastic changes. Are any jobs growing? We don't see any jobs growing right now. That is why the consumer is uh, trying to survive on whatever basic income he is having or the budget he is having. So he's planning everything according to his budget and which is right now a rare necessity. You mentioned that you know there are consumer shifts and that's the reason why we've seen sales slowing down. So is this what you were referring to when you talked about consumer shifts? See, consumer shift, that is I'm saying from the larger packs to smaller packs. That also brings down the volume. Okay. Between... Market segments, for example, urban, rural or geographies, are you seeing anything which is again different for this October to December quarter and the whole year? Urban is coping up with the volumes which are, are expected. But the rural population is finding it very difficult because the effect at the base at which the rural was growing in last three, four years was higher than the urban population. And now at present, we are seeing a slowdown in the rural population, urban is maintaining its scope, uh, whatever it was doing. But since it is a very drastic situation or very taken die situation into the rural market, we are seeing this sudden downfall. Because still we have about 60 to 65% of population living in rural area. Right. So one of the things that other studies are showing is the rise of discretionary spending, which means more higher value added items. Is that something that you're seeing as well? And if so, to what extent is that offsetting the overall volume or at least the value numbers? I have been always told and questioned that sales of two-wheelers is growing, sales of mobile is growing, sales of electronic consumer electric items is growing. My answer to them is that 
also even one gentleman said that uh, sales of tractor has uh, skyrocketed so my answer for all of these people is that you can get a loan for to buy a tractor or a mobile or a tv or whatever goods you want to or uh, want to purchase but you cannot get a loan to buy a packet of biscuits because the people have heavily we borrowed their income has been stretched out to the emis and that is why the money left for them is very less since you mentioned borrowing when you say borrowing are you talking about people borrowing for vehicles and even agriculture implements like tractors i'm assuming that's more rural india or are you talking about other kinds of borrowing personal borrowings okay last question uh, dhirishil how are you seeing the next 3 to 6 months 2024 we are very optimistic about first quarter next year because this year though we have already finished january is finished and february and march is uh, obviously a, a month which is on a cautious uh, note for all the businesses in fmcg but the first quarter we are very optimistic we have an election fever in the first quarter hopefully we would have good rains and most of the things depends on the rains so we are optimistic for the first quarter and second quarter let us see how it pulls up for the third quarter as well so next year yes we are hoping things to neutralize or things to regularize for the fncg segment as well but for 2023 we have already very short of the day dairishil thank you so much for joining me thank you now dairishil says that the third quarter is usually the best quarter as you heard and this was the worst in 30 years now i don't have a precise way to measure that but even if 30 was less than 30 or a little bit less it's still of concern and there is a definite problem on rural purchasing power which is obviously under pressure i then spoke to akshay disuza of bizom intelligence out of bangalore and i asked him what happened in 2023 from his perspective and why value growth was low at least lower than what i thought it was looking like just after the festival season which if you remember from our conversations was seen to be a mighty bullish phase 2023 actually came up against the backdrop of a very high inflationary year which was 2022 and i think one of the things that we have probably seen in 2023 is that some of those high inflationary fears are kind of settled in but has that resulted in a lot of consumption and driving excessive consumption the answer is no we've actually seen value growth of only about 2% in the year that has come largely from home care packaged food and confectionery you know for example if you look at beverages for example as a category is taken the biggest hit in the year but that is largely due to factors that are seasonal in nature so i think you actually had a cooler summer and i think that impacted beverages i think on a double digit impact we also saw a lot of commodity price tempering down especially for edible oils and i think the largest basketed branded commodity that we see today is edible oils and i think that has led to a drop in value growth especially for all those companies and i think that kind of shows up in their financials the one other thing that actually impacted big also was personal care i think we see now mid second digit kind of drop in personal care year on year how the industry seems to be reacting is there suddenly we are seeing a flurry of price cuts in those categories to drive consumption so that's really from a product consumption standpoint what we have also seen this year is you know while rural has been the flag bearer of growth for fmcg historically in the last few years in the post covid scenario this year i think rural and urban are similarly pecked and also very very low so 
that growth has not really come. Now, if you look at one of the strategies of a lot of FMCG companies, large FMCG companies, to be honest, is you know, they kind of typically add about 8,000 villages as part of the direct distribution, which kind of gives them, you know, a bump up in sales, which essentially means wholesaling going to direct distribution. And that really hasn't got too much because you've seen rural has been focused more on essentials than on discretionary. And that too, in a very controlled manner in the post-inflationary period. So it's been a year of very tepid and moderate growth. Right. So I'll come to discretionary in a second. Are you able to relate this in volume in terms of units in any particular category or categories and how that's changed or not changed? Many of the categories, actually, you will actually see now prices have been relatively stable or even dropping in some cases. Barring maybe you will see in SHL commodities, you will see a little bit of spike in wheat or rice, which I can see the government trying to put it in control through export curbs and creating additional supply. I think that is very, very evident and it's very obvious over there. And that I think may come through because we're already seeing indicators of distribution of that happening through public distribution systems and otherwise, which means the more you release in the market, the more you control you get on the prices overall. So I would imagine in the next three to four months, I would imagine those prices are going to come lower. I think that is the directional approach, even sugar for that matter. I think there has been a cap on the ethanol blending and hence disincentivization of sugar factories on that. Let me come to discretionary. That's the area that everyone's been betting on in some ways or the other. More premium products, discretionary. Why is that not done well? Or rather, what's not done well? No, very interesting because I think uh, one of the things that I kind of am, uh, you know, I think we see is, I think when the spike happened, you know, the inflation happened, I, everybody quickly rushed to raise prices. Right? And I think when prices went down, the reverse didn't happen as quick because everybody was trying to be trying to maximize profit. I think that's very clearly evident. And consumers beyond a point have said, okay, look, I'll buy essentials. Even for something like festival, for festival season is a classic indicator of how discretionary products will sell because the wind is blowing in the right direction at the time. Even then, while stocking happened in stores, we are now seeing a big struggle to liquidate those stocks, which means consumption has not followed. And I think that's really been a challenge. And I think that has really led all brands to look inward. And I think they are kind of now trying to gain volume share and price cuts on a lot of this to kind of spike usage. And I think that's the real piece. The good news though is, uh, you know, consumption, travel, out-of-home travel essentially is improving. If I see airplane numbers or I see real numbers, those numbers are moving upwards. So travel is improving, so which means out-of-home consumption is going to be better and better. But thing is, a lot of this will lead to get fueled by price cuts, which actually have seen a lot of spike in what we do, will have to kind of be reduced as we kind of go ahead to kind of you know, fuel that consumption. So you're saying people are spending or likely to spend more on experiences than on products or because products they've in some ways peaked out. Is that what you're saying? That's what it seems like at the moment because numbers are pointing in that direction. So last year we were saying that we had seen an unusually high spike during the festival season because of extended festival and so on. In retrospect, does it appear that these numbers finally evened out and it was did not really make much of a difference? So if I look at last festival and then I compare it with Q1, Q1 of the calendar year, which is JFM 2023, actually showed the biggest growth of the year this year. The start of the year is what does it do you know, in the black? Otherwise, it would have been in the red this year. It's the last two quarters which have actually had a struggle. So if I look at OND, for example, my OND numbers 0.24.5% drop overall. Of course, it's led by a sharp drop in commodity prices where 
your prices across the board have kind of, especially Eddie Boulevard, have tempered by about 25-30%. That's led to that fall also. But it's a new one that is held. So I think we, I think, ended the post-festival. Restocking also happened and that ended well. But this year has not seen that yet as of now. What's things looking like? I mean, how are you projecting ahead this or even coming quarters in terms of both value as well as number of units sold? So the one thing that is seeming to me is discretionary spends are also going to be fueled by cost of essentials going down. I think that seems to be for me one clear indicator because when you have more cash available to spend, you will probably go and end up spending on discretionary. That's definitely in the offing. I'm hopeful that we will have a stable currency and a stable economy because we have seen many countries across the world struggle with devalued currency and then costs going up and inflationary. I'm assuming India will probably be stable. And of course, we are in the post season. And this kind of typically means there's a lot more live events, a lot more money flowing in the, you know, in the or in public in general. And I think that is going to be another vital trigger for the next quarter and you know, at least four or five months that we're looking ahead. So I do think that, that these may be the right triggers at the moment. But I think we most importantly need to look at a stable environment. I think that's the real piece that we are Got it, Akshay. Thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Sony calls off merger with Z and sets stage for a battle. Z Entertainment was told today by Sony Pictures that their merger agreement dated December 2021 or three whole years ago was off. Worse, Sony has sought a termination fee of $90 million on account of alleged breaches by Z in terms of its merger agreement invoking arbitration and also seeking interim reliefs against Z. This is indeed a mess. It also means that for now the market will remain fragmented or like magnets in a bowl, different pieces will keep moving around till the one with the largest or the most powerful magnetic force captures them or, well, merges with them. Remember, there is a binding term sheet between Reliance and Disney's India business as well floating around and that deal is yet to happen but is expected too. This merger was never going to be easy ever since Z was embroiled in a Securities and Exchange Board of India investigation into actions by its promoters, the Goenkas, in alleged fund diversion. The latest bugbear, seemingly, was that Sony wanted Puneet Goenka, the managing director and one of the promoters, to step down from the board. Z says he was willing to, but something obviously snapped at the end or towards the end because there were extensions and finally, both sides did want or were working towards the deal and which has not now happened. The question, of course, is what happened and why was this merger imperative for both? I reached out to Vanita Kohli Khandekar, media analyst and business standard columnist who's been tracking this deal very closely as she tracks the whole sector. And I began by asking her what prompted the deal to be called off. Since November, one has been hearing all sorts of reports, speculation that things were going bad. Somebody even said that, you know, within Z, the buzz is that this merger is not going to happen. And also the fact is that both the companies had invested a lot in terms of management time. So I was hoping it would go through. I think this is more me as a media analyst and somebody who's watched this sector closely. But yeah, the sort of indications were coming from November itself. And why do you say, or rather, why do you feel this has happened? What is the primary reason for this breakdown? You know what, I find it slightly disconcerting because all the regulatory paperwork is done. This merger is good to go. You could have walked into the ROC on Jan 21st and said, now we have a new company. That was the last step. Original merger agreement was that Puneet Goenka would be the CEO. 
there was a SEBI investigation, then the appellate tribunal overturned it. But the SEBI investigation continues, but the appellate tribunal has allowed him to be. And SEBI investigations are a normal thing in corporate India. I mean, there are, again, civil CEOs, but that doesn't stop them from being CEOs. Anyway, the point was that, that I suspect that for Sony, there were some legal implications because Sony is not talking, Z is not talking. So my feeling is that there must be some global implications because they're a listed company globally on having somebody who had an investigation like this ongoing. And they could not have gone through it without having had to face some consequences in other markets. But the buzz is that they were stuck on NP saying being the CEO, whereas Z said that, listen, just complete the merger, let Puneet become CEO, and then you choose whoever else you want. Because the merger process needed that final trigger of Puneet being appointed CEO. That was the terms of engagement. So the fact that they've asked for compensation is also suggests that it's a bitter parting. Actually, since November, December, the sounds that I heard coming from both companies, in terms of just, you know, you're chatting with people and the stuff that you pick up was not nice because till then it was good-natured thing, you know, about cultural differences between how, because they've been working hard on operationalizing this merger. There was work happening on logos, on teams, on people, on all of this, by the way. So by then, and by, I think by December, there was talk that this is not a merger. This is like a takeover. It's an acquisition. That has happened. It ended bad. Messy divorce, so to say. Right. And the other conversation that's going on, obviously, is of Disney selling in some part to Reliance and for which we have a binding term sheet. Now, the question is here, is Sony the company that was going to take over or would it be in a merger? Because the question that I'm leading from that is, assuming these two are now going their separate ways, are both of them potential merger stroke takeover targets or will Sony continue to hunt and who's the bigger brother or sister as the case might be? See, Z is about close, just under 9,000 crore in top line, Z Entertainment Enterprises, and Sony is about six to six and a half, FI23. Together, they would have made a 15,000 odd crore company, a bit under 15,000. The largest media company in this country is somewhere just under 30,000 crore, which is Google. I have only FI22 for Google, which is 25,000 crore in ad. Top three companies are all in the 25, 18, 17, Disney star is 17,000 crore. Globally, the tech media companies dominate. Locally also, in most markets across the world, Google, Meta, Amazon, Apple, these companies, the, you know, the definition of what is media and what is a media company has changed irrevocably. I've written about this dozens of times, but essentially anybody who's out to even Amazon, which is selling shoes and stuff, they have a small little video business, which is just a carrot. It's a $554 billion company. You think their video business matters to them in terms of returns? No, it doesn't. It's a carrot there, but we think of it as a great video product. So the point is, if you have to battle these guys, you need size. Even a Paramount or a Fox, why did Rupert Murdoch sell in 2018? He sold because he realized that there is no way I can compete for the same talent and the projects that a Netflix or a Apple can. I'm out of the game. And he sold his entertainment business. And it has triggered a wave of consolidation across the world. After that, Paramount sold what Warner Discovery happened in India. Viacom sold out. It's exited India more or less. It has a very small stake. So the Viacom 18 business is with Reliance. Now Disney, if it goes to Reliance, you just think Disney and Reliance together, they will own more than one third of the TV market in this country and they will have 
a streaming universe which is second only to YouTube, 316 million uniques. So you cannot battle with, you know, 58 million uniques and I mean, Z and Sony combined had 86 million uniques. I'm talking digital or a combined market share of 24% in TV. That's You're not going to be able to battle these kind of companies without scale. And so both of them, the reason I'm explaining this whole structure is, is a backdrop against which this merger happened. That backdrop and those factors have only accelerated since the merger was signed. So the merger is an imperative. Now, whether Sony allies with somebody else globally or Sony exits the broadcast business in India, I see that happening too. It may decide that we'll focus on digital, hive of digital. I really don't know. But Z, definitely no foreign company will want to, because there are no foreign companies left now, unless a Comcast comes in or a Liberty Global comes in or something like that. So I can only see an Adani or a Alliance or I don't know. You don't know who's talking to whom. You know, I actually drew a graph today and the arrows are going every which way. So it's like a set chapter in permutations and combinations with everybody talking to everybody. Right. And I take the point that all of these, the smaller players relatively that include Sony and Z that we're talking about today will have to merge with someone or get taken over by someone if they are to have some scale in a market that's dominated by the tech companies. Anita, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for calling me. Well, that's it for me for today. See you tomorrow. That was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopsis or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at feedback at the core.in. And thank you once again for listening. <laughs>